with me to Daniel chapter 9. It'll be projected for you. You know, it's, it's interesting as you read the second half of Daniel, it's all this apocalyptic literature. And then right in chapter 9, there's like a breath of fresh air for those of us who don't like apocalyptic literature. Right? You got a confession. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. All right, so if you take a big picture view, Daniel has showing, is showing us how to live by faith in a culture that doesn't know God, doesn't care about the living God, how to live around people who believe differently, and maybe even be hostile to what we believe. All right, how do you live in a world where transgression is praised? And so last week we saw the future, we saw a negative apocalypse where we got to see what happens when sin is let off the hook, so to speak, right? And, and that's what we focused on is, is this guy Antiochus, or Antiochus, depending on who you are and how you say it, right? He had a heart that felt superior to everyone else and it caused all kinds of harm. And what Daniel is going to show us today is there's another way to deal with transgression when somebody doesn't listen to you. It's confession. And so what I want to do this morning is, is let's ask Daniel, how do we pray? How do we learn from this prayer? And so let's read it, and we'll, we'll do that. Um, <clears throat> this is the word of our God from Daniel 9. I'm going to read verses 1 to, we'll read the whole thing, 1 to 27. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asuerus, uh, Best, my best shot there, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of our land, of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. 
For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. That's a curse among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and listen to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by my name, by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and this confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. There should be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. <laughs> and this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He's speaking to us who are greatly loved in Christ. Let's, let's pray. God, our great and awesome God who promises to love us, we, we ask now that you would teach us the humility that Daniel has modeled for us. 
to teach us to walk by faith among the proud. But also teach us the patience required to love and serve those um, who do not love and serve us. And for that, we need your spirit. We need, we need to abound in hope as your gospel promises to give us that we might grow in our certainty that you are on your throne, uh, Jesus, and that we can wait because we know you will make all wrongs right again and you will wipe away our tears. So teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been reading a biography of a guy, Pastor Jack Miller, who we've talked about a fair amount. He was uh, planted a bunch of churches in Philadelphia area in the 70s and 80s. He was a teacher at Westminster. He started a, a missions organization as well. Right, but part of the way he started churches was he and his wife made their home like a, a refuge for anyone in the community that needed it. So just they have young kids, and they were bringing in the homeless, uh, those addicted to drugs. Uh, one young lady in particular was, was named Gwen. She was one of the first. And she had been involved in the occult, uh, drug addict, motorcycle gangs. And Jack tells us that... Um, as they loved her, even as they loved her, there was a darkness growing inside her. While they were giving her hospitality, friendship, loved her in ways she's never been loved before. And she was actually planning harm to the people who were caring for her. And one day, in a spasm of guilt, she actually burst out to her hosts, I've been planning to kill you and Mrs. Miller. All right? And so Pastor Jack writes, I was obviously stunned, appalled by the evil that she would say out loud. The one who had soaked up all of our love, our care, our hospitality, and friendship was wanted to kill us. I don't even have a category for that. But he says, I knew what the Lord would do if he were in the room. He said, Gwen, before anything else happens, I want you to know I forgive you. <laughs> say that out loud. I forgive you for planning to murder us. And that's when Gwen was stunned. She fell back as she had been hit in the face. She said, you are the only people to have ever loved me, and I, am wanted, I wanted to kill you. I'm so sick. <laughs> it's a stunning confession on her part, a stunning act of grace on the Miller's part. Um, it just illustrates with great power, I think, that when you know you're greatly loved, it frees us to confess with brutal honesty. And I'm going to come back to this illustration, but that's the question this morning in front of us. Do you, do you know that freedom? Uh, the freedom to confess, like Daniel did. All right, I mean, Daniel stuns me because he says, I'm confessing my sin, and we haven't seen any of Daniel's sin in the, in the text and the stories and that thus far, right? He's, he's a believer. He's, he's known as faithful, and he's saying, I'm sinful, I'm corrupted by nature and by choice. There's something deeply wrong with me and my people. I deserve justice, Lord, give us mercy. Right? So what I want to do is for us as Christians is say, what, do we can, what can we learn from Daniel there? Right? And if you're following the story with me, Right? you got two, two different ways to deal with people who disagree with you in the Babylonian world. 
right? Whenever Babylonian leaders feel slighted, hurt, feel inferior, what do they do? They scream like the queen in Alice in Wonderland, right? Off of their heads. (laughs) Into the lion's den you go, you get cooked, barbecued, thrown into the fiery furnace. And last week we saw Antiochus, who even smelled a possible rebellion, which really wasn't, if he felt slighted at all, right? He massacred thousands. They live by the, the rule, if you harm me, I harm you. And what Daniel has modeled thus far is something completely different. He's been serving his enemies. He's been doing exactly what God told him to do in Jeremiah, which is work and pray for the shalom of, of Babylon. I mean, forgiveness had to be a painful, everyday reality for, for him. We just, we just don't have it written down. And what's fascinating then, in light of how patient Daniel's been, in light of the humility he's shown, who does Daniel identify with? People who have transgressed. The transgressors. The transgressions of Israel, for sure. But the negative apocalypse we saw last week also showed transgression. Daniel says, I am in the community of those who have done great wrong. Right? I mean, you, you caught it. Right? How many times did Daniel say we, our, us? This is me too, says Daniel. And so I know that's not our normal way to pray. It's not my normal way to pray. Uh, I have a lot of eyes, me's, and wants in my prayers, and I like to admit. And so what I want to do is say, Daniel, teach us to pray. Let us learn how to pray. from this great chapter, and we'll, we'll come back, all right, if you're really anxious about the 70 weeks and trying to figure out all that confusing mess, come back next week. <laughs> Be patient. <coughs> but, but I think as we learn to pray like Daniel, that what this is going to help us do is, is the fruit of the Spirit teaches us patience and humility to deal with other sinners. So, first point, uh, Daniel teaches us how to pray the Scriptures. All right, I mean, what we've seen... Daniel's dealt with a lot of chaos in his life, and he keeps being shown again and again and showing us that God is sovereign, he's in control, and that God's kingdom is coming, even through the wickedness of these pagan kings. God's will is still being done. And what's fascinating is we as Americans say, wait, God is sovereign, so why should I pray? Right? If he has a plan and all these things are decreed, why should I ask God for help if he's just going to do what he's going to do? Right? It's a question every Christ- Christian wrestles with, that if God is sovereign and has a plan for every moment, and he does, and the future is determined, why fall on our knees and ask for help? And what we see here in chapter 9, Daniel sees God's absolute control. He sees his plan. Uh, we see it predicted Right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy Babylon. After 70 years, Daniel sees it fulfilled. He sees God's control. And then Daniel prays. It's, the, it's his motivation for prayer. Because God is sovereign. I mean, you look at verses 1 to 3. Right? Darius is now the ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon has faded into history. And then Daniel says, I understood from the scriptures according to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. 
So I saw part of the prophecy fulfilled. I know it's going to be 70 years till Jerusalem is restored. Therefore, God is sovereign. I'm going to pray. Sackcloth and ashes. It's pretty astounding. Right? Daniel is reading the scriptures and praying the scriptures. He's reading Jeremiah. He's seeing that God's word was true and trustworthy and accurate in the historical details. God's plan didn't waver. He committed his, his prophetic promises, hold true. Right? As Jeremiah 25, 11 says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and nations will serve Babylon for 70 years. But after 70 years, I'm going to punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity. Right? Babylon's going to get justice. And so Daniel, he's seeing God's sovereignty and God's promises be fulfilled. And that's why he's praying right now. He's praying the scriptures. And this is fascinating. I like to, to apply this to us here. I mean, you see how, I think we're getting a glimpse into the secret of why Daniel's such an inspirational figure. It's because he's been formed by the scriptures. He's been reading and meditating on the Old Testament. I mean, here it's Jeremiah. He clearly knows Deuteronomy in the book of Moses, the Torah, the law, the scriptures. Right? And if you connect the dots with me here, this is just a generation after Jeremiah is alive and Daniel's already calling it the word of our God. For Daniel, God spoke to Jeremiah and because what and what God spoke to Jeremiah is authoritative, it's infallible, it's my rule for my life and my behavior. It controls what I think, how I understand who God is, and what I must do. Right? I mean, you're already seeing in real time the inspiration of the scriptures being worked out in Daniel's life. It's pretty astounding. Right? And that's what you've seen in the text, in the stories, that Daniel's not ashamed to say, God, you're my king. Command me. <laughs> and so if you pause, right, the stereotype is if you take the Old Testament seriously, you're going to become narrow-minded, bigoted, judgmental, and all, the, all those things. Daniel's showing us if you take the scriptures seriously and you pray the scriptures, and uh, it's going to grow you into a person who's humble, patient, full of faith, more tolerant. I mean, Daniel's really is being formed into a person who's like his heavenly father. Gracious, slow to anger, faithful, less rage, more service. I mean, that's the, that's the impact that Jeremiah had on Daniel. And all he's doing in this prayer, I'm going to show you as we go on, he's praying through God's promises. He's praying through the scriptures. And that shaped him. All right, and so... One way to apply this is just ask you, do you know how to pray the scriptures? <laughs> I know it's, it's always hard to know what to say, and, and what, what I find helpful is even Daniel is saying, I didn't learn this in a vacuum. I didn't teach myself. I've been taught. I'm, I'm regurgitating. I'm saying back to God what he said to me and asking him to be faithful. And so the challenge then is to know the scriptures, to know what to pray. So one way you can use the extra time that COVID's giving us is, is to become more familiar with this, the story of Jesus in the Old Testament. To meditate 
on the law of God day and night. It forms you into a person who, who's able to bear fruit even when life stinks. That's Jeremiah 17. All right, if blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water in the desert, and so even when the heat comes, you're still going to prosper. That's a picture of Daniel. And so it requires help, it requires community, and that, that's my challenge for us is, is to say, okay, let's, let's get together with some people and, and learn how to pray the Bible and ask God to do what in our lives what he's done in Daniel's, lives, Daniel's life. So, yeah, there are hard things in the Old Testament, for sure, but I would encourage you, that's why we're here, that's why we're a community, that's why we have... People at varying levels of understanding. Some people know nothing about the Bible and just getting started, and some have been reading this thing for a long time, and that's why God brings us together so that we can teach, so that we can be taught and then teach others. Now, back to Daniel. Right? Daniel sees God's sovereignty in the Scriptures, and he prays. Seventy years must pass before the Jerusalem is restored. And what, what I find helpful is Daniel is still meditating on the scriptures because he's remembering a specific name. This is, look at who he prays to. It, it's the only place in the book of Daniel that God is addressed this way. It's to Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant. Right? Everywhere else, God has a different name, but when Daniel goes to confess, he's remembering God and his promise to be faithful to his people the covenant God, the God who is with us, the God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, uh, the God who made a covenant of love, his steadfast love that never fails, the God who set his love on Israel, as we heard this morning, simply because he loves them. It's that God, the Lord. Right? These words are electrifying, and that's what we've been studying in Sunday school, that, that God loves his people, he keeps his promises, he has sworn and that doesn't change, and Daniel's remembering that in Babylon. And so, as he gets to know and pray to the Lord, this is, I think, his secret for humility. Um, he's meditating on the covenant, and that's what, that's what we want to do. And, and the, the agreement God has made, and the character of God. And, and so we've got to ask, okay, what's a covenant? Right, what's a covenant? Well, one definition, and I'll explain it, that I find really helpful, uh, Tim Keller says a covenant is a deep union and relationship between two parties. Right? So you're joined together between two different groups. And he goes on to say it's a relationship of law and love, and it's far more binding than any personal relationship. Right? It's more binding than a marriage, but it's also far more personal than any legal relationship. It's not just a piece of paper. And so let's, we can break that down for a second, but if a covenant was just a legal relationship between a king and servant, and that is a part of what a covenant is, it's a law document, where God the king says, I will provide and protect you and give you my blessings, and God's people and the other parties say, yes, okay, I submit and I will serve you, my king. Right? There's blessings for, for obeying and there's curses for rebelling. That's Deuteronomy 28. But a covenant is far more personal than just law. It's also like a marriage. Right? 
When he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, even when there's no benefit for me, or I, I set my love on you because there's nothing special about you, it's just because I loved you. We read that in Deuter Deuteronomy. Right? So it's this deep union and relationship between God and his people. It's far more binding than any personal relationship. You're joined together and far more personal than just a legal relationship. And so if you have that understanding of a covenant rattling around in your brain from Deuteronomy, Daniel's meditating on that. That's the context for his prayer, that God is faithful to his covenant, even when it comes to judgment. Right? But the beginning of his prayer, as he meditates on God and his covenant, um, he's focused on on the God who keeps his promises. All right, so I'm trying to paint this picture that Daniel's prayer is beautiful, it's majestic, and all he's doing is saying, here's what God has said, and I want him to be faithful to what he has said. All right, so you get to the end of Deuteronomy. This is Moses in chapter 30. It's a centuries before Daniel prays. And I love how Moses... He lays out the blessings and curses in chapter 28. When you get to chapter 30, uh, you can turn there with me if you want. Um, right? Moses says, when you fail. <laughs> right? He's talking to God's people who have just sworn to, to keep all of God's promises. He says, when you fail, when it all, life hits the fan because you screwed up, confess your sin, turn back to the God who loved you. He will have mercy. Right, and here's what Moses said. When all these things happen to you, the blessing and curse, exile, life in another nation, and you call them to mind where you are at among the nations, where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and your soul, then the Lord will restore you. He will have mercy on you. He will gather you again. From, from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. He will again delight in showing delight in you when you turn with your heart and soul. So I'm hoping you can see what I'm trying to show you here. Daniel is letting God's covenant control his prayer life. He's letting God's promises shape the words that he says. He prays because he knows God still loves him. He confesses because he knows if I turn to my God, he promises to turn to me. God has sworn by himself to forgive. And that's why he confesses. So, that's, that's the context for this prayer. Daniel knows the scriptures, he's meditated on them, and he's praying them. And there's a good lesson for us, I think, because I'm all, we're always looking for words to say, and especially when life is hard and you get stuck in a fog and you say, God, I just do not know what to say to you right now because I'm just so, well, afflicted, crushed, pressed down. All right. Look at our reflection. And there's another pastor applying this. He says, you know, in the midst of trials and difficulties when you barely know how to pray, take a page out of Daniel's book. Search the scriptures so that you can pray for the things that God has clearly promised. And he gives some examples. 
right? For God has promised to complete the good work he begins in us. So in the middle of your trouble, you can ask that God would use this particular trouble to make you like Jesus, to humble you, to break your pride, to show you how much you need him. Um, Psalm 23 is an easy, an easy one to remember because it's such a well-loved scripture. The Lord has promised to be your shepherd and to walk with you in the valley of the shadow of death. So you can pray that, God, will you watch over me in the darkest of night? Hold my hand, because I need to know you're with me. I don't know if I can do that. I can't do this alone. See, Daniel prayed that God would do what he had promised, and he prayed intensely with great confidence because he was praying for what is sovereign, good, in control, covenant-keeping God had sworn. And so he had confidence in his prayer. (laughs) So you could summarize all that to say, pray the scriptures because God keeps his promises. (laughs) You are loved. Uh, All right, we can get to some details in this prayer. Let's learn to pray with Daniel from, from his confession. So give us an outline for how to pray. There are four parts to Daniel's prayer that, that people have noticed, and it will give us an outline for our own prayer. And actually, you could map this on to our weekly order of service, uh, where you see uh, an invocation. We call, talk to God by name and adore him. We become honest and confess, right? We, we ascribe to our God faithfulness and to ourselves faithlessness, and then we get specific with our confession. And then we ask God for help in the shepherding prayer. And then we come to the preaching of the word to hear that we're greatly loved and God tells us what he's up to and what he wants us to do. Right? That you can see that whole pattern repeated week in, week out. So, first part. When you pray, the old word is invocation. Uh, it simply means calling God by name. That's what Daniel does. Who are you talking to? As you, but as you do that, what you're after is to get your heart and your mind and your eyes looking at the character of the one you're talking to. Right, so listen to the words that Daniel uses. Yahweh, the God with us, the covenant-keeping God, the great and awesome God. He's recalling the works that God did in Egypt. He keeps covenant of, of mercy, of love. He says, to you belongs righteousness. God, you're righteous. Everything you do is fair and right and just and good. Uh, He remembers that to you, Lord, belong mercy and forgiveness. So when you call out in prayer and we start our prayers, we're, we're calling out to God by name. Really what we're also doing is meditating on who God is. I mean, you can, you can see Sunday, our Sunday school passage over and over in, in this chapter. Right? To you belong mercy and forgiveness. God, you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. <laughs> Verse 9, if you look at it, should really be plural. To you, Lord, belong mercies and forgivenesses. Right? That God's grace... And his character for failures is not a one-time deal, <laughs> right? Everybody gets one, you blew it, well, I'm done. No, that's not who God is. His, he has mercies. It's an ongoing reality. It's, it's his desire. He, he is the source of forgiveness is. 
So we call out to God by name, and as Christians, we, we add our Father as Jesus taught us to pray. That's our invocation. God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who loves us, is the Father of mercies. And that, to, to call God the Father of mercies if you're meditating, right? Just like a dad has children who, who reflect what the dad is like, so God has mercies that show us what God is like. Right? To speak of God the Father as the Father of mercies is to say that he is the one who multiplies compassion, help to his needful, wayward, messy, fallen, wandering people. And so that, that's the first thing we see. Pr begin your prayer by calling out to the Father of mercies who keeps his promises. Right. Daniel's prayer begins with God and ends with God. <laughs> now, this is so different, isn't it, from how we pray in, in many ways, because we get, we want to jump into all the lists and petitions, and, and what Daniel, he spends a lot of time just talking about God. And this is encouraging us to see the greatness and awesomeness, uh, the covenant-keeping, the Sit in it. Enjoy it. Work until the flames of your heart are burning hotter than they were when you first started. Um, and I think I would argue, I know my prayer life shrinks when I forget that God is the Father of mercies. Um, the God who swears by himself to love us even though we don't deserve it. Right. Daniel's heart and his hopes are gripped by this vision of God. Is it yours? <laughs> but there's more to the prayer, too, because he also says, you know, this mess we're in, it's, it's our fault. We deserve this. You are a God of righteousness, of justice. Right? He also says, right, he's talking to God. He's still calling to him. Uh, to you, O Lord, belong righteousness or justice. You have the right to punish sin. And so he's calling it, showing us that we want to hold both together. God, you are God who is merciful, and God, you are God who is righteous, who's teaching us how to live and showing us that we don't meet his standard. Right? If you don't meditate on God's righteousness, you will not be shocked that God answers your prayer or that he even hears or that he listens, that he gives you mercy. You know, it shrinks my prayers. I forget that God's righteousness and justice is about more than just me. Uh, you get to verse 19. Daniel says, don't delay God for your sake, for, your, for the sake of your name. Right? When Daniel's thinking about justice and mercy, he's also connecting, connecting us to think about other people and how they see God. God... The city is called by your name, and your name is to be known, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, from the rising to the setting of the sun. Daniel's praying what Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. And since, God, you want your name to be hallowed, do justice, have mercy. <laughs> and I know this is hard, because... We tend to break down God into one part that we really like in the moment. 
<laughs> it's really hard to hold these two things together. But when you forget God's righteousness, you get bored with grace. If you forget God's grace, you're, you're going to run away from his righteousness and hide, and you need to hold both together. Right. I know my, my dad said, wrote when he was studying Daniel, when I forget God's awesome grace, I begin to see my awful sin and rebellion. That's what Daniel's doing. And I begin to think I'm just too far gone to really be a Christian because right? I just don't measure up. I think I'm beyond fixing, I'm beyond healing, beyond restoration, and, could, and conclude that God could never use a broken pot like me. I'm too flawed. That's when you forget grace. Or, <laughs> this is what we do, we love grace for ourselves, and then we look at others and the way they've failed God and have disappointed me in the past with their sins and lethargy, and they say, yeah, God can't use those people. So then cynicism sets in. Why pray at all? I mean, Daniel's prayer is he's not just praying for grace for himself, but for his people. He's full of hope because God is merciful and he is righteous and he is faithful to his promises. So, start your prayer. God, who are you? Help me see you. We, we start with invocation, calling on him by name. And, and second part, some people call this ascription. You call it brutal honesty. <laughs> uh, I would say just you own your stuff, the good, bad, and ugly. And when you read this, what Daniel does, he knows the sin and, his sin and the sin of his people. 34 times he describes how they've been unfaithful. Right? That makes our confession time sound short. 34 times. He's, he's thorough. We haven't listened We've rebelled, we've committed cosmic treason, uh, treachery, that was the word. Uh, if, if the covenant is also about love, we've committed spiritual adultery, um, we've transgressed the law, we didn't turn from our iniquities, we didn't recognize that, yeah, our nature is twisted and we don't see the world accurately, and so we need God to show us what we're like and what the world is like. And instead of saying, yeah, I'm not perfect, but nobody's perfect, and then decided to do things on our own, Rather than it says in verse 13, God, give me grace and give me insight to show me how to live with my fallen nature. That's what iniquities are referring to. So you, second part of prayer, you meditate on God's faithfulness and then we say, yeah, I'm not you. <laughs> I'm not faithful. God, you're faithful, gracious, merciful, awesome. We're not. Because we're greatly loved, we can say those things. And then he gets specific with these confessions. Right? Prayer should include confession. Right? You've got invocation, ascription, right? just owning it. Uh, you've got true confession. And, and I would argue, look at how Daniel doesn't once separate himself from the sins of his people, of Israel. Right? Daniel's in Babylon because of the sins of others right? The leadership of Israel failed. The people failed. Daniel was a youth when he was dragged off. So he's reaping the justice that others brought upon him through God's justice. It'd be easy for Daniel to say, the reason I'm in Babylon is because those people, they stink. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm like them. I still do the same things. 
He says they, he doesn't say they sinned, he says we sinned. He includes himself in the community of sinners. And so, this is why we confess our sin every week, frankly. And why I've started in the last couple of years being more intentional. As we get to follow in the footsteps of Daniel and say, we did this, we do this, we continue to do this, and we need help. It's the reason the pastor and the people pray prayers of confession. It's not just the people who stink. The pastor is corrupt too. We gather together and say, everything you do for us, God, is 100% dependent on you, your will, your desire to be gracious to us, because we are sinners. And so if you want to learn how to pray, right, we got to learn how to confess, and confess with specific things. And what Daniel does is he uses the scripture to describe what they've done wrong. He uses Deuteronomy. And that's, that's a practice I found very helpful, is everywhere you, in the Bible you find an ought, you will find a reality that you have not lived up to, <laughs> a command that we didn't do. Right? So we ask for forgiveness for that ought that we didn't do, and then we ask for help to obey. Right? Everywhere in the Bible you see an aspect of God's character where he's forgiving, he's patient. Well, I'm not. God, forgive me. Have mercy. Help me do that. Make me like you. All right. A prayer life needs to include confession. And I would argue that's going to make us as Christians different. <laughs> because nowhere else in the world do you gather together to say, the problem is me. The problem is we. <laughs> We're so used to tribalism. So, confession. And then the last part, we're, we're drawing to a close here. You make your petitions, and that's what Daniel does. Right? He meditates on God's character. He's, he's honest of saying, we're faithless while God, you're faithful. He then confesses the need for mercy and that the justice was deserved, and then he asks God to do what he promised. Right? Restore Jerusalem. Make your face shine upon the sanctuary. God, hear my cry. Open your eyes and see. And when you see the suffering of your people, have compassion. Hear, forgive, pay attention, act. Don't delay. He doesn't say because of us. This is the part we need to, I know I need to learn from. Don't delay for your own sake. Your reputation is at stake, God. That's amazing. So, we all have our lists, and this is the part where it comes, after confession. Right? You make your requests for help, but we do so for this, the, the, the glory and reputation of Jesus in the world. And that's a different motivation for asking for help. Right? When, when Daniel says, God, I want you to restore the temple where your name dwells, the city, the community, where your reputation is, um, in, in the Old Testament, that's in Jerusalem. But for Christians, that's the church. It's God's people. You bear God's name, Christian. Right. Even that's a wonder. God, you would choose me to be your representative to the world in light of everything I've just confessed. 
But that's what you can pray, right? I need your shining face. Shine your face upon me. Show me that you delight in me. Um, Your reputation is at stake. My my friend Mick says he often uh, prays in prayer. right? God, it's your fault that you made me this way. You chose me, so now you've got to deal with me, so you've got to help me represent you to the church and to thy neighbors. Because your name's at stake. And so that's, that's the part of our petitions that I think will, be, will help us as we walk together, as Daniel is tying his prayers to what God is up to in the world, to make an end for transgression. It, we'll, we'll show this next week, how this is preparing for Jesus. Right? You'll get to a place where you're like Jack and Rosemary Miller. Someone confesses their sin. Horrifying, appalling sin. And they say, I know what Jesus would do in the moment. I forgive you for planning to murder me. (laughs) You forgive as you've been forgiven. See, our prayers end with requests for God to make himself known through us, through God's people. Uh, for the sake of God's name. So, we call out on God by name, we, we become honest, we confess, we make our petitions, and what, this is how it ends, with the God who hears. And this is the really encouraging part, so if you're sleeping, this is a good part to listen. Look at how fast God answers his prayer, <laughs> Right? As soon as you started asking for help, boom, here comes an angel, and he says, you know, you started to pray, you kept praying, but I was already on my way. Why? For you are greatly loved. The prayer begins with, God, you are God who is love. And then the response to uh, to his prayer is God saying, you are loved, even after the confession. And that's, that's why we confess. Because we are loved. Because we know God has sworn that he must and will forgive us. All right, I mean, the, the speed of God's forgiveness to Daniel and to his promises, it reminds me of the father in the parable of the prodigal son. <laughs> Before the son ever gets home, the father's already on his way to forgive him. He sees him a long way off to show him how greatly loved he is. Of course, we have a greater assurance in Daniel right? Daniel had an angel, and I would love to have an angel say, yeah, God loves you, but we have a son. We have the cross of Christ who shows us and tells us with his death, every Christian is greatly loved. He was pierced for our transgressions, right? That's the power of the new covenant that, that we pray in, right? Daniel had an old covenant, He was praying in that context. We pray in the context of the new covenant where Jesus paid the price in love for God to give us mercy. And I love Jeremiah 31, and this is how I'll stop here. Right? God promises, I'm going to make a new covenant, and it's going to be better than what Moses gave because what Moses gave didn't change people's hearts. They didn't turn their face to me. Right? And he says, this is the covenant I'm going to make with them. They're going to know me. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. They're actually going to do what I tell them to do. <laughs> and 
And it, he also says, I'm going to forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And it's so certain, and this is the part that's fantastic. Right after he says, I will forgive them, I will remember their sin no more. He says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. If this fixed order ever departs from before me, then my promises will fail. God's love is so certain, it is as certain as the sunrise for his people in the context of the new covenant. So when Jesus, right, this cup is poured out for you, on the night before he died, he says, as the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, he is purchasing that reality for us. It came at great cost. And so, this is how I think we go out as witnesses like Daniel, right? The more you embrace the reality of the gospel, the good news that God cannot love us any more than he does now, he loves us more than we can imagine, despite our great wickedness, and he is at work in us. Well, we're going to pray like Jesus ta taught us to pray. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <laughs> it's the process of growing in love and patience for God's people, and for the, the community that God has placed us in. So, steadfast love is stunning. It's the kind of love that even forgives murderers, which turns out to be everyone who put Christ on the cross. <laughs> we are greatly loved. Let's pray. Now, Father, there's a lot here in this prayer. And I pray that what is true and from you would, would burn deeply into our hearts and into our minds and you would shape the way we interact with you. That we would become a people who love mercy, who do justice, and because of our confession, walk humbly with you, our God. And we thank you for the assurance that Jesus bought for us, that we go now as those greatly loved. So we ask, O oh Lord, not for our sake, but for your sake, that you would hear us, that you would see us and you would act and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.